just so worried about him. You know how he struggles with handwriting, and he still stumbles over comparative and superlative forms. You worry too much, Hilary. Tim is a bright little boy. Don't mollycoddle him. He's just starting school. Of course it'll take him a little time to adjust. He'll be fine, I promise. When I see his little face as the school vator doors close, he looks so scared, Gerald. And Cambridgeshire is 20 decks away. He's playing up to get attention. He knows he'll get a rise out of you. He's just being a little brat. You need to learn to ignore him. But I can't ignore him. He's my perfect little man. Well, that's what these parent-teacher meetings are all about, isn't it? Getting a proper professional opinion about how Tim is doing. There's so much I want to ask. About his literacy levels. How do they compare with the other children? I want to know about his comprehension, his attention span. I mean, does he play well with the other boys? Does he sit and listen during story time? Yes, well, I must confess I am looking forward to asking about his drawings. I looked in his general notebook the other day and it was full of these little doodles in the margin. The boy's got talent, I'll give him that. All those scowling gargoyle faces and glowing red eyes. I mean, what an imagination. Come on, that's us. I'm looking forward to meeting his teacher, actually. He never really says much about... Oh. What do we do? Sit down, Hilary. Don't be impolite. Good evening to you, sir. I would shake hands, but... uh, Well, you you know. We're Timmy Mitchell's mum and dad. We're here for the parent-teacher meeting. We have some questions we're very keen to ask you about, young Tim, uh, about his grades and general behaviour. We're worried about his reading age. Yes, if he ever sat still long enough to read a book. (laughs) 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 Well, go on then, Hilary. What? Ask the questions. Right. Uh, We've noticed that Timmy has difficulty concentrating for long periods and we were wondering if... In your professional opinion, that may be a problem. Timmy is a bad boy. Yes, well, he he can be a real scamp sometimes. There's no denying that. But we were looking for a little bit more detail. Is it worth taking time out from his evening routine to revise numeracy? I could make flashcards. Bad boy, Timmy. Zero marks. Ooh, ooh, zero marks, eh? Well, that is disappointing. Do you have a a syllabus or a marking scheme we could look at? Timmy will be punished. I wonder if a programme of positive reinforcement might be more apposite. I read in one of my magazines last week that there are multiple opportunities for education in everyday activities. For example, baking a simple cake can teach youngsters to add basic integers and act as a gateway to more advanced numeracy such as volume and measures. What do you think? Zero marks. Yes, well, that's rather a meaningless number without academic context, isn't it? Gerald? I mean... It doesn't seem right to base Tim's entire progress on a pop quiz or whatever the current terminology is. Gerald, the floor. What about the floor, Hillary? It's moving. What? What are you doing, man? This is most unorthodox. I have half a mind to report you to the PTA. Hello, 
everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Oodcast. We made it to six. I know, it's pretty good, isn't it? So I'm Laura, Laura Simpson, and with me I have Chris Sigma. Hello, hello everyone. Andrew, the handyman candy. That's me. And... Wait, fresh fresh from the subs bench just for this week. Yes, only. what's happened to Chris Alpha? Who um, are you? I'm I'm the new Chris Alpha just for just for this week. He's, what? What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what is he on holiday? Where is he? Is he just away? Is he taking gardening leave? <laughs> so um, my name's Jeff and I'm I'm the new Chris. Just for one week only. Hello. Cheers. Nice to meet you, Jeff. <laughs> Hi. Yep, Jeff is uh, our resident inside man working for the BBC. At the BBC. Yeah. So he's going to tell us some exciting... He's brought jelly oh, babies! Jelly. So finish oh, the sentence, fantastic. exciting. Sorry, I, I have brought some... Jelly babies are more exciting than the end oh, of the sentence. Jelly babies are so last year. Bassett's where, jelly babies. Where are your jammy dodgers, mate? Is that Listen to the oh. foley he's doing there, though. It's brilliant. Oh. Opening. Uh, this is greater visual comedy than I normally do. Yeah. yeah. I'm crack a, I don't I, want I, him I, back again. It. He's stealing my thunder. That's how I thought I didn't endear myself Can to we get some foley of me eating a jelly baby? Yeah. I'm not actually interested in the audio recording. I just want a jelly baby. So, yes, but I do have some amazing insights fun BBC news from the, from the BBC point of view. That's why I'm here. Hello. Yep, that will be coming very soon in the episode. But first of all... The I got a black one! Oodcast News L'Oreal to launch new Espudebaline Whalesick Shampoo. A spokesman said, After seeing how shiny and voluminous Amy Pond's hair looked just hours after being liberally drenched in sick, we decided this fantastic product has to be brought to the public. The manufacturers are sustainably sourcing key ingredients by showing captive whales photographs of severe cases of foot fungus. British far-right parties applaud the BBC's decision to show a programme at Saturday tea time showing a British nation separate from the rest of the world on its own, out there among the stars. The National Union of Teachers has requested an election pledge for revamped teacher-driven school facilities after noticing the lack of disciplinary issues in a classroom where poorly achieving pupils can be flushed away at the push of a button. Parliamentary reaction to the beast below being shown this close to a general election has been mixed. A spokesperson said, well, at least they didn't trash Big Ben and Number 10 this time. And finally, the idea of regeneration was precipitated by an LSD trip. It was revealed today. In other news, the design for the murka was stumbled upon when someone ate too many Skittles and was sick all over his drawing board. The doctor is a bastard. Ooh. He well, he's got proof yeah, this, when, he, when he got angry, I was like, hey, where, where did that come from? Not even when he got angry. He was just critical the whole way through. He opens the door and she goes, oh, I've been dead for centuries. And it's clearly just something she's excited about. Goes, oh, you're a cheery one. And then, and then when she deigns to say, maybe I don't want to go off by myself on my first mission exploring this spaceship, he goes, that's this or Ledworth. And then later on, he's threatening to kick her back to the curb just for making one simple mistake. But she's got to get up to speed. She she needs to get up to speed. She needs to realise that this is what life with the Doctor's like. Or is it that he's still cooking, as he as he so eloquently put it? Is he still working out who he is himself and that's and that's OK? You're a more generous person than I am, Jeff, and I like that. <laughs> I, I hope he's not still cooking, because if he's cooking into that sort of character, then I'm not going to like him all that much. And as oh. for up to speed, have you seen any other companion do less whinging and 
better work than Amy has done so far. No. I have no. to say I like it. I think that we've got used to this sort of companion doctor relationship now, which is very cosy and one's in love with the other or they're both in love with each other and there's never really any antagonism. I think Amy really pushes him and he reacts violently against that to begin with and just becomes a bit childish as the doctor does it every now and then and asserts his authority. But he respects her by the end of it. She takes him on on his own level and she wins. But it was out of character, wasn't it? He's like, well, the only way I can see is to kill this big whale fish type thing you know why that's sort of against the form of any previous mm, doctor contentious moment that because usually the doctor does find a, a solution but uh, you know he listed the three possibilities either kill everyone on board the ship kill the whale or leave it the way it was kill all the people or kill the whale mm. they were the three options yeah and so, I mean, what Amy did was actually pretty impressive and very bright. She looked at the situation. Which is what the doctor told her to all do. all angles. First thing the doctor says, keep your eyes open, mm. observe everything. So all she's doing is following his advice. Following his mm. advice. So she could see stuff that the doctor couldn't because he was doing the whole electric thing at the, the techie thing at the desk. But I, she I like your hand. Yeah, I always do I, I like your hand. You can't, listeners, you can't see Andrew's hand actions. They're really good. This is legendary, guys, <laughs> and we do need to do a vlog one day. <laughs> So um, it was out. It was it was unusual for the series for the companion to solve the situation, but it was well handled. And I don't think it's out of character for the Doctor to mm. be angry and irritable. Indeed, his first incarnation was nothing but. You kind of want to love the Doctor all the time and you want every decision that he makes to be the right one and him to be a paragon of hope and inspiration the entire time. But I don't think... I mean, uh, using the word realistic is a weird thing to use in Doctor Who anyway. But if if you want an emotionally realistic character, he can't make the right decision all the time. He can't act in the right way all the time because then he's not a fully rounded character. He's a two-dimensional heroic character. And we all know they're the least interesting of any personality within a narrative. I, I read somewhere that in the filming block, this, I think, was actually one of the very first things that they shot. And I, the opening episode, 11th Hour, was like the third or fourth thing that they shot. So people were saying that in terms of the order they shot it in, they were still kind of warming into their characters and finding their, their feet a little. And I think that showed. Why do you think that showed? Because it wasn't as slick as last week. The mm. 11th Hour was very... Slick. I have to put my cards on my table. Oh, cards on my table, yes. I have a separate table for my cards. And when I put my cards down on them, I have to say that I didn't enjoy this week's episode as much as last week's, although I still loved it. I thought it was average, but I think in a nutshell for me, the one thing that we've all done is that we've all got slightly we all got slightly bored. I think I speak for everyone here, you know, end of time, RTD. We're like, okay, move along. Moffat's here to save the day. And we put such a high level of expectation on him that when he just delivers a good to average episode... We're all a bit disappointed because we would expect it to be amazing all the time. And slightly and better happen. than average episode, I I, would say. I had that. I, you see, the thing with this episode was that it's a bit like my reaction to Mika. Is that his name? The musician? <laughs> I simultaneously love it and simultaneously really dislike it. The thing with Mika's music is I really love the upbeat music of it and the upbeat instrumentation. But when it comes to the lyrics, I'm like, what? So I have this strange dichotomy going on in my head of like, I really like this. I'm like, what's that? The Oodcast, the podcast that uses the word dichotomy, just dropping it into normal conversation. Back to our normal programming. <laughs> What's wrong with dichotomy? No, it's brilliant. I just like the way you just threw it in. La, 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 dichotomy. It sounds like something that you'd be prescribed at the chemist's. For a fungus. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not. Anyway, another story. Dichotomy being able to... The two it's opposing... Two, two opposing things all yeah. at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, uh, And they right. work. or some, No, they don't work. 
but oh, something like that. It's dealing with two vastly different points of view yeah, at the same time. That's right. What I was saying was, <laughs> I found this when I was watching Beast Below. And then over Sunday, I was like, do you know what? That was awesome. That really grew on me. There were so watch, many I, things going on in I had it. to watch it again to, to, to like it more. Mm, yes. mm, yeah. It was Laura like, and I got up at seven this morning to watch it again before we came <laughs> into work. <laughs> but, but, but it still seems, it felt very rushed. Um, I wrote on Gallifrey Base and I outraged everybody because I put the pacing filter wrong. I just think if it had been like 10 minutes longer, it could have been better. It needed yeah. to be a slightly longer episode. Well, the actual story was like half an hour and then they had the, the sort of like, okay, so we're still mates then, are we? And let's go back to the TARDIS and talk to Winston Churchill. Sort of a... And a, I'm sorry, and I didn't like that. I know they used to do that back in... Was it back in day, the Fourth Doctor's days? They used to introduce next week's story at the end of the episode. And I didn't like that. I was like, that's 30 seconds you've wasted mm, where you mm. could have had a nice moment between Amy and the Doctor with her going... So, where do I sleep? Or where are the toilets on board yes, the TARDIS? That kind of thing. That they they, they nice. could have had more sort of a TARDIS in, uh, integration. And it wasn't I there. agree with you, but I think it was saved by uh, the Doctor calling Winston Churchill dear. <laughs> and, who's, and who's, and it, who's playing Winston Churchill? Who's the actor? Do Ian we know is that a famous? Okay. He's quite well known for lots of different I things. I know the face yeah. very well, but I, I know can't him from, place I him. think he was in Edge of Darkness. Are we sure he's not a Slovene? No, no, he's not a Slovene. Common. He's not a <laughs> Um, I I felt quite strongly about the episode. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it right from the opening credits when Surrey was the only tower block to have faulty letters. <laughs> <laughs> There's one up your eye, <laughs> Surreyites. Are you an Essex girl? Where, where, from where? No, no she's I'm, from, I'm from Surrey. Surrey. Right, I just, oh, I thought, right. <laughs> I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't tell whether you were pro or, or not. So, okay, right. yeah, no, I, I'm usually quite pro Surrey, but I found it very amusing. Um, and all of the political aspects of it, you know, 1%, if 1% protests, the whole thing shuts down. But the 1% always get eaten. So mm. how will they mm. ever mm. establish a foothold yeah. in society? Fantastic political allegories the whole way through. Every five years, everybody forgets everything they've known. And it's entirely symptomatic of what seems to happen with the general election. Everything, everybody forgets the last 20 years or 30 years and just goes for whatever soundbite is happening at, you, the, yeah. at the right moment. Do you think the Moff is so clever? He, he knew that it would be, this episode would be on, you know, just oh, a few yeah. weeks before the everybody election. Yeah. Did, did he work that in? Knew that, Everyone yeah. knew yeah. that. Yeah, I think he did it on purpose. <laughs> and I also quite like how Amy initially analysed what the Doctor does as a, a wildlife documentary, oh, sort yeah. of seeing an injury. Cub and meaning and having to leave it to get eaten. Lovely or die. visual joke mm-hmm. of the doctor mm-hmm. going, No, I never, I never help, I never, you know, get involved with anything. And then within 30 seconds, he's on the screen yeah. helping. Yeah. That was one of the moments that you actually felt like you could like the doctor, or at least I felt like I could. And the other one was when he goes, Say we! And Amy oh. goes, Ah! <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny. Lots of quotable moments. Yeah, lots of quotable moments. Staying out of trouble badly. Badly. <laughs> Another great quote. But the thing that I, the thing that really grossed me out about it, <sighs> is when they're getting when when they're being sicked up. And they both choose to open their mouths to scream oh. or yell Geronimo. And I'm Facing like, I would shut my mouth yeah. if I was going to have half a cubic ton. Here's a really pedantic point. At, at that moment that he turns and he sees the teeth, yeah? Mm-hmm. And there are gaps between the teeth. So I'm thinking, well, why aren't they being sucked out into yeah. space? Uh, Is there what some were they, what were they vomited <laughs> out into? Yeah. Uh, I didn't uh, get presumably that he, the whale was encased in the ship. Well, we know it's not it entirely encased, not unless it managed to bash itself out from underneath. 
to the final sequence. I wonder if that's what the abdicate button did. Mm. It, it sort of took it out of took whatever. Because it, it, ho- it was just holding it on its back at the end. I don't think that was true mm. at the beginning. Another inconsistency that I'm... Inconsistency <laughs> plot hole that I'm not sure about is um, why do the voting booths have a record button in? Because it's like you go into the booth, you see the truth, you want to forget it. Why would you record yourself a message to tell yourself why you forgot, why you wanted to forget it? It's like that memento thing that the only person you can really trust is yourself telling you it. Is that the Schwarzenegger film where he records a message to himself? No, no that's that's Guy Pearce. Guy Pearce. Because that's what I was thinking of when I was playing about the video screens. I was like, that's like that film. And another thing that no one else really agrees with me about, and I should say I do love the show, I'm not just picking holes in it, but I thought it was very Matrix-esque at the end. In the third Matrix... When Neo meets the architect, and the architect—that's the it, second Matrix. The Jeff. second? No, was it the th- second? Second. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, he's all like, you know, this has been going on for years, and every so often it gets reset. So when Liz Ten found out at the end that every ten years it gets reset, I'm going Matrix, Matrix. It's just kind of, you know, okay. I'm not, I'm not having a go. I'm just saying I always spot the similarities to other shows and things. Liz Ten. Oh, do we like her as a oh, character? Oh, very much. She was fun. Very much. Yeah. yeah. She was a kind of a Basically, sci-fi fifties <laughs> archetype, wasn't she? Right down to her fifties space pistols, and it was great because the British civilization had sort of devolved into a sort of nineteen fifties Britain as well. So it was great to have the the other side of that, the glamour and the yeah, the, this this sort of sci-fi element of the fifties mm. coming out in her character as and well. I like the way her original recorded message to herself, her original recorded message of three hundred years ago. She's a little bit more queen-like. She still had the stately, accent. She, yeah, a bit more. My people, are, um, and she's become much more of a commoner throughout her reign. Well, I like that. People were journey. making fun of her mockney accent, but I honestly think they did that on purpose mm. because it's yep. an affectation. Yep. Yep. She has become that yep. way. She's realised there's something wrong in the system and she wants to fight it and she's become more like her people. Presumably every time that she resets herself, she resets her accent and then it yes. slowly devolves again devolves over again. the 10 yeah. years. Yep. No, I liked her. I thought she was fun. So that's... Yeah, I could get on board with that. Brilliant. Um, can I make a little bit of a prediction? Ooh. Because I've noticed a few things. Mm-hmm. Amy has been taken out of time. She currently exists in a flux, like a Schrodinger's cat, neither alive nor dead, neither in time or not. That's why the computer couldn't say whether she was married or not, because at this point, she hasn't made the decision. She is neither married nor uh, non-married. Yeah. Nor married. That's true. So I believe the Doctor taking Amy out at that point has has caused this crack in the universe oh. because she has now become this being that the decision hasn't been made. So when she goes to the future, you know, what is she? Is she, you, what was the rest of her life? It hasn't happened yet. So you, I think, I, I think the crack has been caused by Amy being but taken out of time. But with every companion he's ever had? Probably. But only this time, for some reason, it's more serious and we need to wait to find out why. Are you saying, as I hope you're saying, is that we're all going, oh, they've mentioned zero twice and oh, there's a crack, you know, and we're going, that's the arc, that's the big thing. But as I, I think what you're saying is what I'm hoping is that there's something much more subtle that we're all much completely more missing. clever, yeah. And as is going to happen with Bad Wolf, because think back to Eccleston and Bad Wolf, and it wasn't until about, until it wasn't until it appeared on the side of the TARDIS in like episode six or seven, that suddenly we all went, Hang on a sec. You know, but the trouble is, in this series and all following series, we've all been looking for it. So, it, you know, he's... And Moffat knows that. Moffat so knows he's that. put some but red I'm, herrings out there. I, I, I really hope that that's the case. And he's led in something so subtle that nobody's got it. And in about four weeks' time, we're all going to be going, oh, you 
genius. We yeah. hate you, but you're genius. I <laughs> absolutely, I, perhaps my faith is misplaced, but I absolutely believe that but he I knows really everyone's wasn't. looking for the bad wolf of right. this year. So he's put a very, very obvious bad wolf in. Which, to, to like fool us, supposedly. Yes. yes, right. I'm so glad you agree with me. Because <laughs> the crack is too obvious. Brilliant. Do, does anyone one more have thing any about the crack. One, yeah, okay. um, someone on Gallifrey Base has said <laughs> that it's the same shape as the border between England and Scotland. I it's not. Discuss. It's not. Oh, isn't I it? Checked, I oh. went online. I looked up a map of the border. It is nothing. Not even if you sort of like flip it, it or mirror image or anything like that. No. Patreon's wall, maybe? No, nothing like it. Sorry, oh, mate. Well. You're twisting oh. <laughs> in the wind there. Did anyone else notice that the Smiler's hair is made up of little cogs? No. No? That was a nice little design thing, I thought. I thought they were good enemies, baddies, even though they didn't actually do much. I thought they were great design and concept. Oh, do you know what I think? No, because I'm going to tell you. Because <laughs> we're not mind readers. Stephen <laughs> Moffat is fairly unwilling to kill people. So far, there has not been an on-screen death. Yeah. And I think his enemies suffer as a result of it. I think if we saw a Smiler kill someone they would have been far more threatening but as it is they didn't do anything and uh that was well, really threatening that little kid done the yeah because we, we all yeah, thought but, that he was dead right but he wasn't I think that dead. was an act of mercy to make him get away from that really irritating girl with the weird teeth going yeah but stick stick with me on this one they they lost a lot of their menace because moffat seems unwilling to kill anyone off and I think that is a problem. It's the the one major problem I have with his writing. Yep. I think you may is that he yeah. hasn't he builds a threat and then he doesn't deliver That's on it. That's a good point. Uh, what's the girl in the fireplace, Moffat? She yes. died. She died. Yeah, but of natural of old age. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Even the angels, they just get shot back in time and die naturally of old age in the past. They're not killed. That's true. We happened to watch the episode with a whole bunch of listeners to the Oodcast. Our friends, as they're also known. Yes. Ha <laughs> uh, We've got some of those friends and listeners. Oh, here you go. More jelly babies. Thank you very much. Um, and immediately afterwards, we decided that we would record what they, as fans of different levels of enthusiasm, felt about this week's episode. And we've decided to call them Mops. Members of the public. So here is <laughs> Mops on Moff. Well, the time's just past seven o'clock and we've just finished watching the new episode of Doctor Who, The Beast Below. And Ooh. I'm here with my friend Joff. Hello. Hello, Hello Jonathan. And uh, John's quite a new Doctor Who watcher and we just thought we'd find out what he thought of the uh, first kind of regular episode I guess of the new series of Doctor Who. I'm new. You are new. What do you think? What do you think of it? I like it. Excellent. <laughs> Doctor Who is nice isn't it? Yeah it is. Isn't it's, it a it's, nice it's, show? I've been trying to tell you that since we were 15. Yeah I don't listen to what you say a lot. No. We've got Paul Ward of Oxfordshire. What did you think of it? It's, it's one of those episodes where, because it's the new Doctor, you're still building information about how he's going to be. So it's really good to see his like, intensity is coming. Mm. I, like the, I like the intensity of the Doctor. I think that's the, his most kind of endearing trait. 
<laughs> so here today with me I've got Karen Ward. Hello. And Karen is a long-standing listener of the Oodcast. So now here we are in the new series with Matt Smith as the new Doctor. What were your first impressions? I was a bit worried about his face because he has one of those really bendy mouths and that quite irritates me because it always reminds me of Jim Carrey and he's just bugs me so i thought when i'm watching him i'm just going to spend the whole episode going stop moving your mouth like that and stop moving your eyebrows in that silly way but actually i haven't had that at all i've really enjoyed watching him and i think he's doing brilliantly and i can't wait to see the rest of the series so yes i'm very excited the thing i liked most about this is the world that was created that kind of uh the london on the spaceship thing moving through space that was nice it was kind of a bit blade runnery um but obviously on the back of a massive fish. I liked the guys in the boxes, uh, like the mannequin things, because yeah. they really reminded me of one of the series um, with the girl in the fireplace, with the clockmen. Oh, yeah. And I actually, I was, I was wanting them to do a bit more because I really enjoyed the clockmen. And I thought when I saw the guy turning around and his face kept changing, and when he had big teeth and he was really creepy, I thought this is going to be really cool. But actually they didn't do as much as I kind of wanted them to do. I thought it was a bit of an allegory about climate change as well, about whether we carry on ignoring the fact that the world's dying or whether we just, um, you know, do something about it. The sick did seem to dry and the smell go quite miraculously That's without what I them was having thinking. a shower. Yeah, when they're having a hug at the end, yes. and they're sort of <laughs> nuzzling their noses in, I'm thinking, oh, that's going to smell oh, I was so thinking bad. Exactly the same that's going to smell horrible. <laughs> yes. And surprisingly, as well, the sick was very lumpless, and as we all know, sick always has bits of carrot in. What do you save? Humanity or a huge manatee? Next next week, we had a pretty good foreshadowing of what's going to happen next week. Are you excited about it? Oh, yeah. The, the Daleks are always exciting, aren't they? They're, they're kind of... Uh, the, the nemesis returns in every series or every other series, and yeah, it takes a different form. Yeah. Uh, it's always it's always interesting to see how they're going to bend it to so the Daleks can re-emerge again. Well, thank you very much, Paul, for coming on the Oodcast. Uh, thank and, you. And garnishing us with your opinion like a delightful side salad upon the plate of afternoon tea that is Doctor Who. That was interviewing a member of the public about Doctor Who. Hello. Okay, so a one-off feature on the podcast this week yes. is Tales from the BBC, oh. where Jeff regales us with interesting tales about him and Doctor Who. Hang on, I know you haven't done a jingle for that, but I think you could all improvise a little, a little jingle for we'll me. Well. So Tales from the BBC... Go. Um, do you want to hear the day that I upset David Tennant? Yeah, mm. very big, much. Big time. And almost got you fired. Boy. So, uh, well, this actually followed. I'd actually met. DT, the man, about two weeks prior, because I work at the BBC, I work out at White City, not in the same building as Television Centre, but Television Centre is where all the cool stuff happens. And there's actually, um, on the sort of on the BBC intranet, there's a, a, a secret page, which is not a secret because everybody knows about it, where you can see what guests are booked in for what show. So you can see a week in advance who's on Jonathan Ross or who's on Graham Norton. Or when David Tennant was in for, on, on I think on New Year's Eve, when he, he was in on the morning on the day of the end of time, part two, and he was in Television Centre that morning, and me and my friend went down and we hung outside the dressing rooms and we got a photo of him as he walked by, and he was very nice and stuff, and that's it. And I told my friends at work this, and you know they're slowly getting up to speed that I'm a big Doctor Who fan. 
And so word kind of spreads, and people are like, hey, um, I miss John Barrowman. Someone's like, John Barrowman's in the building. I would have run down and got him. Anyway, a few weeks What's later... What's John Barrowman in? Every programme we're showing today. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, he was on the one show. And the one show is literally, like, it's across the way. I can see it down into the studios of the one show from where I am, because that's about 50 metres away from my office window. Anyway, so a few weeks after this, I was all like, hey, I was in love with David Tennant. And, um, uh, and one of my friends that works at Radio 2 which is in a building called Western House, which is over near Oxford Street, which is where Broadcasting House and all, all the radio is. It was when he and Catherine Tate were re- filling in for Jonathan Ross on a Saturday. But the show was recorded on a Friday. Maybe it was a Thursday. It was definitely, you know, it wasn't live. Um, and my friend in Radio 2 knew this on about the Monday or Tuesday and sent me a text saying, David Tennant in the building, you know, at Radio 2 this Friday. And I was like, I actually text back saying, well... I've already met him now. I can't be bothered. Kind yeah, of, you know, I've like, done time. it once. So kind of thing. Uh, and I was not at work on this Friday and I was at home and my friend that worked in Radio 2 sent me a picture, which he clearly snapped on his iPhone or Blackberry or whatever. As he's obviously, he's left his desk and he's walking down the corridor to go to the toilet or get a cup of tea or something. And, and they have glass windows for the studios and he's seen in a shot and he snapped a picture and he's emailed it to me kind of thing. And there's David Tennant and there's... Catherine Tate, and then there's DT's girlfriend. Is it Georgia Moffat? Moffat right, and she sat there. In fact, in fact, we had a little email conversation saying, "Well, who's the other? Who's the third person? Because who's the, res- the hot woman? Who's the hot? Well, the resolution wasn't wasn't that great. Kind Doesn't of matter. She's hot. And we all sort of chatted about it, kind of thing. And I thought, well, I'm going to tweet this because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit of a twit tweeter, twit twit picker, kind of thing. And I think I, in this I, case, we can definitely say twit. And I did, thank you. And I did have a moment where I thought, is this okay? And I thought, well, yeah, because my friend, he, you know, I'm, I thought, I remember thinking, I'm surprised my friend hasn't done it himself. He's clearly taken it on his mobile phone as he's walked down the corridor, snapped the photo, you know, and he's prepared to send it to me. Maybe he, he hasn't got time to sort of put it out on Twitter, kind of I thing. I mean, yeah, what so, could go wrong about taking <laughs> an unauthorised picture of a famous person when they're not expecting it? So, so, thanks, Chris. So <laughs> I sent it out on Twitter, along with the line, David Tennant and Catherine Tate, filling in for Jonathan Ross tomorrow, Radio 2. Listen in. And I'd like to stress that I did it in the interest of trying to, say, promote David Tennant. I then went out for the afternoon. I went shopping or something, kind of thing. Whilst I was out, about an hour later, I get a call from my boss at work, right, who's called me, and he never calls me sort of ever. So immediately I'm like, uh-oh. And he's like, he went, have you put a picture of David Tennant, of Doctor Who, up on Twitter? And I went, yes. <laughs> and he went, can you take it down immediately? And I went, Yes. <laughs> I said, about at the moment, I'll call you when I get back. And here's what happened, and I won't go into the whole palaver, but apparently um, the, the, the key thing to, to note here is that my friend in Radio 2 hadn't snapped it on his um, iPhone, whatever. But the BBC, of course, has webcams in all its studios, which they sometimes use during the live broadcast. They say, and check out the webcam, you know, and you can go in. And these webcams are on all the time, and you can access that sort of webcam system even sort of off air. So, and my friend in Radio 2 had sort of logged into the webcam system, taken a still photo, which was a bit naughty of him, and forwarded it to me as a bit naughty of him to do that. And then I then retweeted it. But here's, here's, here's the best bit, is that Georgia Moffat is sat there, apparently. This is what happened, because we heard this by the producer. She's sat there. She's checking her iPhone for Twitter for mentions of David Tennant, Doctor Who. And, about t- and my tweet gets picked up. <laughs> by Georgia Moffat. And retweeted by... So a few hundred other Doctor Who fans. You don't want you don't want to annoy Georgia Moffat. She's got sort of inbuilt battle training given to her by the computer. And Georgia Moffat has apparently been sat there and gone, "How the bleep have they got that photo?" It's leant over the desk where David Tennant sat behind the recording desk and shown him, and he's gone, "Who the earth? Who on earth has done that?" Has pressed his buzzer, 
that's called the producer. The producers come through. They've all sort of simultaneously like turned and looked at the webcam up in the corner. And people have rung people and they've got onto BBC security and compliance. And I get told off because <laughs> they thought that I'd hacked the webcam. I my, think you're lucky from, from just to have got told off. off. To be I honest. Like, no, my friend in Radio 2, I thought he'd taken it on his iPhone and he got called in and he got told off and I got told off and uh, it was fine. Well, one, as soon as they realised that the webcam, they thought there had been a security breach. Once they realised that it was, it was an innocent kind of... They kind of had, there had been a security breach. Someone had hacked in <laughs> but, to the webcam and then sent an email off to his friend about but, it. But I've very clearly not been told not to take any pictures of anybody inside BBC buildings ever again. Excellent. <laughs> so I know I just do it outside the building. Kind of thing. But I just, I love the moment that George Moffat has gone, well, how I have, and, they, and they've all turned to look yeah. at the webcam. Like within about a minute. Within so, minutes. Such yeah. is the power of the internet. I love that. So, so George or David, if you're listening, I'm, I'm very sorry. There we go. <laughs> you know, Podshock gets Matt Smith interviews. We get the guy who knew the guy who took the illegal <laughs> picture of David Tennant on BBC Two. So, oh, but I did meet Matt Smith just the other week. Because again, I, but I was like, because everyone, he was in the building. He was on the one show when Matt Smith was on the oh, one yeah. show just last week. That is just across the way. And, Could you um, give us three adjectives to describe him? Well, he was in a hurry. <laughs> hurried? Hurried, um, but pleasant. Pleasant. Um, I want to say alluring. Alluring. Okay, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> but I met him for like literally five seconds. I shook his hand, took a photo of somebody else, and he was off. And that was inside the building, much to the dismay of about 20 Doctor Who fans who were all outside with literally their sort of noses pressed against the window looking inside. And David Tennant's you know, assistant bodyguard gave us this big scowl of... How the hell did you know we were sneaking out down these back steps? <laughs> and Why did Matt Smith have David Tennant's bodyguard? Sorry, what did I say? <laughs> Can you edit that bit? <laughs> yes, and yes. they took yeah, him out yeah, into a car and they will. whisked him away. And it was literally like over in 10 seconds and that was it. But So I can now say I've met the last two doctors. That's it. That's my claim to fame. Well, that's all from Laura, Chris, Jeff and me, Andrew. Um, if you want to contact the Oodcast, as ever, our contact details are email us at oodcast at me.com. Uh, we're on Twitter, twitter.com uh, slash uh, theoodcast. Mind what you twit pick. <laughs> or you can log on to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash theoodcast, all one word. And we have a website. Our website is theoodcast.com. <laughs> we're getting so slick at this now. And to round things off this week, another lovely song from Laura mm. called, surprisingly, The Beast Below. Well, sometimes I go off by myself And I start to search the starship And I help a little girl with her purse And I listen to her heart Cause since I've come aboard See, the future is a mess And a tangled ginger hair And I'm wearing an I dress And there's something hiding And 
there's something very wrong with two-faced automaton-led education. Are you voting in the booth? Do you want to know the truth or forget it? Or you could get it off your chest. Press the button, mark protest. You might regret it. But since I've come aboard, I try hard to know them. Now I say, keep ginger hair and been swallowed by whale. Won't you let me out now? Your stomach's not the place to go. Why can't you spit me out now, please? Beast below Well sometimes I walk in on the crew And they try hard to explain The importance of things that they're doing To the pain centers of your brain And though the doctor's mad I'm the only one who sees That the children of the ship are the souls you want to please No, you won't forsake us You'll take us where we need to go Huddle into space on the beast below Beast below Beast below Beast below Beast below, we'll stop hurting you now, beast below. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you for having, thank you for having me.